Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pray, uh, and then we're going to jump into uh, our series that we've been going through. So let's pray. Let's invite God in this place. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word and the example that we see within it. God, I thank you for the privilege that I have to get to share uh, your message. Lord, I pray today that the words that come out of my mouth would not be mine, but they would be yours. And God, that uh, our hearts would be open to what you have to say. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Awesome. Today we are going to be continuing with our Joseph Here Comes the Dreamer series. And now um, some of you may not have been here the last few weeks, so I want to do just a little bit of review. This is found in the book of Genesis, which is the very first book. Uh, one of my favorite stories in that book. Uh, and a real quick review. I'll, I'll, I'll give the Spark Notes version real quick. So Joseph uh, was a teenager around 17 years old, uh, and he grew up in this big family, and God gave him this dream that one day he would be in charge, basically. Uh, God revealed to him that his family would uh, bow down to him and all this stuff, and, and Joseph was really excited about that. Uh, and we see that even though God gave him this dream and this ultimate hope of where he would be, there were a lot of detours that Joseph would experience along the way. And so Joseph, being a teenager, he went and he bragged to his older brothers about, hey, someday I'm gonna be the boss, and guess what happened? The older brothers didn't like that very much. So they took him, they beat him up, threw him in a pit, and then they ended up deciding to sell him uh, as a slave. And so he finds himself with these slave traders, and he's headed off to Egypt. And last week, we talked about his experience in Egypt. When he first showed up there, he sold, uh, and he finds himself in this household with Potiphar, this guy that is an uh, Egyptian official, high-ranking official, and he finds himself working in this guy's house. And we learned a lot last week about who Joseph was and, and his character. And we learned that he was all about doing the right thing. And so he put his, his nose to the grindstone, and he worked hard, and he found himself actually in charge of the household. Uh, the only thing that Potiphar really worried about was what he was going to eat for dinner. Joseph took care of everything else. And then we found out as we looked at the story, Potiphar's wife ends up noticing Joseph, and she's like, hey, that guy is good looking. And he's smart, and he provides, and like all this stuff. And Potiphar's wife decided that uh, she would really like to get to know Joseph a little better. And so she tries to seduce Joseph, and Joseph is like, no way, Jose. Right? He, he avoids her as much as he can. And they eventually find himself in the situation where she's like, Joseph, come to bed with me. And he's like, I'm out of here. And it says that he took off out of there. She grabbed his coat, and she accused him of trying to rape her, basically, and so then Joseph, even though he'd been doing all the right things, he found himself being accused of doing something he did not do. And, and our story finished last week by him getting thrown into prison or into the dungeon, which leads us into our title for today, which is The Detour in the Dungeon. So that's where our story is going to pick up today. I'm going to read just a little bit of what uh, we covered last week to give us a bit of context, and then we're going to jump into our story for today. Before we read the word, let's pray real quick and, uh, and believe that God's going to speak to us. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we open our hearts to you right now, and we ask that uh, you would reveal your truth to us. And we thank you uh, that you speak to us, and we, would, we wish to hear you today. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to start in the second part of uh, verse 20. I forgot my paper Bible, so I'm not uh, like checking 
baseball scores or anything, just so you know. I'm, I'm reading the Bible up here. Uh, Genesis chapter 39, starting in the second half of verse 20, it says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And continuing on in, verse, in uh, chapter 40, starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. Now, we don't know exactly why uh, these two guys offended Pharaoh. Um, I did some research on it. Some people think that there may have actually been an attempt on Pharaoh's life, and these guys were responsible in many ways uh, for protecting Pharaoh. Maybe they just made a bad meal, and he was really picky. We don't know exactly. But whatever reason, they find themselves in prison and they find themselves in the prison that Joseph is at. And not only is Joseph hanging out there, he's been put in charge of taking care of everything in the prison. And so at this point, we actually don't know how long Joseph has been in the prison for. As I said, when we first hear of Joseph, uh, he's 17 years old. And so we believe that uh, it was around that time that he had those dreams and he talked to his brothers about that. And we also know if we read ahead in the story, spoiler alert, things turn around a little bit for Joseph. We know that he enters into the king's service by the time he's about 30 years old. So we know that there were about 13 years of time between when he was sold into slavery and until he saw um, his dreams come true. So 13 years he spends time in Egypt. Uh, Jewish tradition believes that he was in the prison for 12 years, so he was really only in Potiphar's service for a year. Regardless of how long it was exactly, we know that he was experiencing the life of, of a slave and a prisoner. And there's something really cool that we learn about Joseph, is that Joseph didn't allow the prison to change who he was. See, Joseph didn't let his circumstances change who he was. Joseph was a servant leader. He served as a slave and found himself in charge of the household. He served as a prisoner and he found himself in charge of the prison. I think this is important today that we understand this, that Joseph demonstrated that our circumstances don't have to determine how we behave or who we are. We don't have to allow the atmosphere that we find ourselves in control who we are. And I actually get to have this conversation a lot with our teenagers. And in fact, usually it's in connotation with something like, I got in a fight today, or uh, I really like to use certain four-letter words. And so I have to have this conversation a lot, and I explain to them that, hey, you know you actually have a choice in the situation how you behave, especially when it comes to fighting. For some reason, they all think, like, if someone challenges me, I just got to go beat that person up. And I'm like, you do know you have the option. You can, like, walk away. I know. It's a really crazy idea. But when it comes to life and the things that we face, the circumstances that are coming our direction, the detours we face, we always have a choice in those circumstances, how we're going to behave. You have more control over you than anybody else in this world. I had a professor at Boise State, a uh, communication professor, who would talk about how um, his wife would say things like, you make me so angry, and, which sounds terrible that he would say that. But the point that he would make is like, I didn't know that I had control of my wife like that. And he would say that, and it didn't really help the situation. So don't say that to your wife. Um, 
But the thing is, is a lot of times we like to blame other people for how we're behaving, but the reality is we ultimately are the ones that have to choose how we're going to behave. And so my question would be is when life hits you with a detour, what is your reaction? When life hits you with something out of left field that you weren't expecting, do you, how you behave actually reveals what's actually going on inside of you. When life is really easy, it can be really easy to put off some kind of picture, like I got things together, uh, I know how to behave, I know how to treat people, uh, all that. But when life gets hard, that's what really actually reveals what's going on within us. See, Joseph had made a habit out of taking the detour and saying, you know what, I'm going to do the best with what I've been given. I'll be the best slave that I can possibly be. I don't have to let me being a slave define how I'm going to behave. I'll be the best prisoner that I can be. I don't have to let the fact that I am stuck here change who I am. The circumstances changed often for him, and they weren't great, but Joseph made a practice of making lemonade out of lemons. And I think that when it comes to our lives, that we don't have to be defined by the detours and circumstances that we face. We can say things like, all right, life has given me lemons, and I don't like lemons very much. But the good news is that God has made me a maker of lemonade. See, we can take these situations, these circumstances we find ourselves in, and we can turn them around and say, you know what? God has given me the ability to do something with this. And now life may give you lemons, and you may learn to become really good at making lemonade. And you may find that you uh, find some comfort in the situation, and you can handle it. And then next thing you know, the lemons get switched out to oranges. And now you're like, well, I'm pretty good at making lemonade. I guess I'll give orange juice a chance. And we can learn to start making orange juice in the situation, and then who knows what the next thing is. You might get, like, avocados, and you got to figure out something to do with that. We'll pray for you if that's the thing that you're facing right now, because avocado juice sounds really terrible. Maybe you should try making guacamole. But regardless, I think that it's important when we look at this story, and the first thing we see with Joseph here is that instead of being controlled by circumstances, we understand that our identity in Christ is what defines and guides our decisions. That's the thing that ultimately we need to rely upon to guide and direct us. Not the thing that we're facing in the moment, but the thing that we have deep within us, and that that is Christ has defined us as a child of God, and that we are controlled by that, not by our flesh, and that we are pointed in a different direction. So our story picks up again, uh, continuing on in the second half of verse 4. It says, after they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials uh, who were in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? Now, this can be really easy to miss this little tiny detail here. But we see that Joseph, even though he found himself in prison and even though he was taking care of prisoners, he noticed the faces of these two guys. He noticed that there was something different about them. If, if many of us had been in that prison and we were like Joseph and we were given the job, hey, Joseph, you need to go give bread and water to all the prisoners. There's a chance we would walk along and we just like chuck the stuff in the door or whatever. But there was something about Joseph, even in that hard situation, he noticed what was going on in other people's lives. Uh, one of my favorite commentators, because his name is fun to say, David Guzik, it's like you guys, everyone say Guzik. That's pretty fun, right? He says this, he says, this is a window into the heart of Joseph. Men who are consumed with anger and bitterness do not often take a concern for the personal problems of others like this. 
This reveals a lot about the character of Joseph, that even though he would find himself in a situation none of us would want to be in, even though he was facing a detour he didn't want to face, he still was willing to look out and see what other people were going through. I believe that Jesus was, or not Jesus, I mean, Jesus was determined to do this too, but Joseph was determined to not let anger and bitterness control him. And I would guess that a big reason why Joseph wasn't controlled by anger and bitterness is because instead of looking in, he looked out. He made a practice of instead of looking at himself and saying, look at me, poor me, I found myself in prison. He instead looked out and said, you know what, my life is rough, but what are other people going through? What are other people experiencing and how can I go about serving them? I know that my situation, the circumstance that I found myself in is really rough, but what can I do today to bring glory to God in my circumstances and how can I serve those around me? See, Joseph seemed to understand that even though he felt like nothing was going his way, that God still had a plan and God was still working something out within him. So he never gave up on looking out instead of looking in. So my question today would be is how often do you look up and look out from your circumstances? When was the last time that you were facing something hard instead of looking at yourself and saying, poor me, you looked out and said, all right, I know I'm going through something rough, but how can I serve somebody else in this situation? I believe one of the best things that we can do when we face a detour is notice that there are other people facing detours as well. When we turn our attention away from ourselves, there's something that changes within us. When we choose to look out, our perspective actually changes, and the rough situation is no longer the thing that dominates our thoughts. I think of it like this. If, um, if my iPad right here is like the, the situation that I'm facing, the circumstance that I'm in that I'm not wanting to face, if the only thing I focus on and if I hold the iPad right in front of my face, the thing that I'm going to see most often, the thing that's going to dominate my thoughts, and the thing that I'm going to feel like is the biggest deal in the world is what's right in front of my face. But if I'm able to say, you know what, I want to change my perspective a little bit. And instead of focusing on that thing, if I hold it away a little ways and I turn my attention to something else, the circumstance is still there. The thing that I'm going through still exists. I'm not saying we don't pretend like we're not going to go through hard things. We're still facing that thing. But if we hold it out at arm's length and instead turn our attention to something else, we are no longer dominated by that. We're no longer controlled by that thing and we can now function in a different way. I think this is what Joseph was really good at doing, is that he experienced these hard situations, he experienced these detours, and instead of holding them right in front of his face, he said, you know what, that is a part of my life, but I'm not going to allow that thing to control my life. And there's something really cool that happens when we learn to do that as Christians, and I believe that it's this, is that we become a greater witness for Christ when we say, you know what, I'm not going to focus on my circumstances, but I'm going to focus on serving others as Christ serve other people. One of the greatest examples we can show for a non-believer is perseverance through trials. If we can go through hard things and we can still have hope and joy in life and we can demonstrate that for other people, people are going to take notice. It's because Joseph was willing to say, you know, I'm not going to focus on this thing. And he didn't take pity on himself that other people took notice. I believe that if Joseph had sat there and said, I'm going to focus on the thing that I'm facing and this is the worst, he would not have found himself in the position to be in charge of the household. And he would not have found himself in the position to be in charge of the prison. But because he was willing to say, you know, I'm going to hold that at arm's length, I'm going to change my perspective, and I'm going to live to serve other people, he found himself going in a different direction. Joseph would have probably spent his entire life sitting as a slave or in prison if he hadn't been willing to do this. 
And I think in our lives, if we can learn to do this, as I said, that we can begin to see other people's lives around us changed. Joseph had influence on other people's lives because of how he handled the situation. And when we handle our situations as Christ would and say, you know what, I'm going to serve other people through this, not only does our circumstance change, but other people's circumstances change as well. How great is that, that we would have the opportunity, maybe if someone else is facing a detour, maybe we've been through that detour before. And if we can look past our own detours for a second and go, hey, let me help you with this thing that you're facing. And we can help bring someone out of that and point them in a new direction. And so then we see our story continues on in verse 8. And this is, uh, once again, as a reminder, these two guys have had dreams at the same night. Uh, Egyptians at this time held a lot of value in the dreams that they had. They would pay people to interpret the dreams, and they would face things like this. And so they feel like these dreams that they had had uh, were a real kind of uh, earth-shattering thing in their lives. It wasn't a coincidence that they both had had these dreams and they were facing these things. And so picking up in verse 8, this is them talking to Joseph. We both had dreams, they answered. But there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dreams. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and the cluster ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, uh, lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as he used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and give me out of this prison. I will forcibly, or sorry, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. The top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets were three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impel your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Wow. Right? Two very different dreams. Continuing on in verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the cup, chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So we see, I know this is a lot of scripture that we just read here, and we could cover a lot of stuff here, but we're going to instead choose to focus on a couple things, but I want to make sure we're grasping this. These two guys have two dreams, and they're really worried about it. Joseph is like, hey, what's going on in your life? And they say, Joseph, we got dreams. And I love Joseph's response. He says, hey, well, I can't interpret your dreams, but I know someone who can, and that would be the God that I serve. And so then he gives these interpretations, and it's one thing that is really cool about these interpretations. Joseph was so confident that God was speaking to him that Joseph only gave specific details that God could have possibly given him. Notice he says, in three days, this is going to take place. Joseph didn't give some kind of obscure interpretation like many of us would have guessed, like, well, the grapes are probably, you know, good things, and the birds sound bad. 
Like, that's how I would interpret this, because I, I don't know how to interpret dreams. But Joseph was confident that he had received this message from God. He said, in three days, these specific things are going to take place. And if I'm right, it's going to prove that God is real. If I'm wrong, then I messed up, and I must be serving a false God, right? Like, Joseph took a huge step of faith here, and he spoke this message to them. And as I said, I want to look at just a couple specific things. The first thing is found in verse 8. When they had these dreams, Joseph's answer was um, that... Does not God, or do not interpretation belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Joseph's response wasn't that, hey, I know something about interpreting dreams. His response was, I know God who can do this. And I think what that would teach us this morning is that Joseph understood that his gifts were not his own, but that God had given them to him. Joseph understood that the things that he had in his life, the, the skills and abilities he had, were not because of who he was but they were because God had given him a gift to be used. I'm a firm believer that God has equipped each and every single person in this room with a gift to be used for his kingdom. This, in youth ministry, uh, this is why we do things like fine arts, where we believe that God has given every single person a gift to be used to further the kingdom of God here on earth. And now a couple of things we need to understand when it comes to our gifts. The first is this, is that when it comes to these gifts, we need to recognize that it was God that gave them to us. When we forget that it comes from God, it becomes really easy to become self-righteous and too confident in our own ability. I, Pastor John talks about this a lot. He would much rather have someone with a good heart that understands that it is God that is using them a hundred times over someone who has all of the skill and the ability in the world but doesn't understand that it's God that's given them that gift. And so we need to understand that without God, we can accomplish nothing of true value. That when we understand that God is the one that has provided for us, God is the one that has given us the ability to be used for his purpose and his kingdom, then we can accomplish bigger and better and greater things. And the second thing when it comes to gift is this, is that we need to recognize that gifts are not for us. They're for other people. God, uh, God has not given me the ability to sing. I'll say that. Um, and... It's a good thing that I understand that, because if I tried to get up and sing, we would have a lot less people here in church. But let's say I could sing for a moment. Um, God wouldn't have given me that gift so that I could get up here and be like, man, I am so good at singing. Instead, God would have given me that gift to say, you know what, how about you lead someone into my presence through worship? Or maybe God has given you the gift um, of, of organization, like you are really good at organizing things. God didn't give you that gift so you can have the best-looking garage in town. He gave you that gift so that you can play a part in building the kingdom here on earth, that you can play a role in that. I believe that every single person in this room has different gifts, and that's a good thing. Your gift should not be the same as the person you're sitting next to, because if that was the case, we would have a really boring church. But because God has given each and every single person in this room a, a unique gift, he can use that unique gift in different ways to further the kingdom. So we see that, that Joseph understood that his gifts were not his own and that God could use those gifts to do something amazing. And then we see if we skip ahead to verse 14, Joseph has given the interpretation to the first guy. Joseph says this, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I've done nothing to deserve being in a dungeon. Joseph wasn't simply waiting around for God to move. He was active in the process of getting out of the prison. I think many of us, 
I, I shouldn't say many of us. I think a lot of times how Christians approach a situation like this, we may find ourselves in a dungeon per se, and we sit there and we pray, God, would you get me out of the dungeon? God, would you get me out of the dungeon? God, would you get me out of here? And in the meantime, God's like, well, I'd get you out of there if you would just like stand up and start walking, right? Like Joseph understood that absolutely God can and he does do amazing, miraculous things. I believe that if, uh, if we pray, God, get me out of the dungeon, God can like knock the walls down and he absolutely does that. But more often, I think God does something even more amazing. I think more often God empowers us to be a part of the process of him doing something within our lives. I think that God has given us that free will in order to make the choice to say, am I going to take a step of faith and trust that God will respond to that step of faith? I was listening to a podcast for a class that I'm taking, and T.D. Jakes puts it this way. He says, God doesn't make tables. He makes trees and gives us the ability to make tables. Often Christians, we like to pray for tables, say, God, would you perform this amazing miracle? And God is sitting in heaven like, I have given you every single thing that you need in order to accomplish that. God, would you make the table? And God is saying, I've given you the tree. I've given you the axe. I've given you the saw. I've given you the hammer. I've given you the skills. I've given you the creativity to go and do it. Start the process, and then I will walk with you through that process. As I said, I believe God does have the ability to make tables. And I have seen God perform miracles that... Uh, were of no effort at anyone at all. It was simply God stepping in and doing something amazing. But I think more often than not, God would say to us, hey, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing here on earth. And so Joseph lived this out. He understood, I am in prison, uh, and I'm gonna believe that God has a purpose for me in the prison, but I also believe that God hasn't called me just to sit here on my bum and hope that something happens. Instead, God would say, hey, Start moving in the right direction, and I'll take care of the rest. I actually think of another story. Moses, when they're at the sea, he, like, tells the people when the Egyptians are coming. This is, sorry, we're skipping way ahead in the story here. But, spoiler alert, um, they find themselves at the sea, and Moses is like, hey, don't worry. God's got this. And God says, Moses, you need to get up. You need to go in the water, and you need to put your staff over the water. Like, God told Moses, you need to take a step of faith. You need to take that step and then see what happens. And so I actually have an example of this uh, in my life personally recently, something that we're actually going through like in the moment right now. Um, and so Hannah and I, uh, we've been here at Engage Boise for about six months now, and we love being here. We're so excited to be here. And um, one thing that uh, is kind of a bummer about being here is our house is in CUNA. And CUNA uh, is kind of like, it's out in the boonies, right? It's a bit of driving, and um, it's not a lot of fun to do lots of driving. So we have really been praying about and hoping that we could find a house that would get us closer to the church, just so that it'd be easier to be here, so that we can be involved in more of the process and the life of the church. And so we've been talking a lot about getting our house ready to sell and, and trying to move here. And um, I have this thing that I do when there's a big decision in my life. I spend a ton of time and effort just like focusing on that thing, figuring out how this is going to work, learning as much as I can. So for the last six months, I've been getting on Realtor.com every single day, looking at houses, trying to find out what the market's doing. And, and I, we've just been watching really closely. And not only that, we've also been praying, and, and my family's here, they've been praying about it. We've been praying that God would provide for us uh, and that he would literally open a door, right? We're looking for a house. 
And even though we've spent this time praying, believe it or not, no one ever came to our house and knocked on the door and said, hey, I have a brand new house for you. Here's the keys. Like, if God wanted to do that, I would have been all for that. I'm not going to say no to that. But instead, I think what we had to learn in the process is that we needed to take a step of faith first. And so that first step of faith was making the decision to actually list our house. And now I was really afraid of doing this because my aunt is our real estate agent, and we talked to her about how this process looks. And the question I asked her is, what happens if we list our house and there are no other, like, houses that we can find to move into? And someone buys our house, what happens then? And she's like, well, you got to sell your house, and you better find something. Like, basically, the option that I had going through my mind for months was this, is that we're going to sell our house, and then we're going to be homeless. That, that's what was facing uh, my thoughts and taking up, honestly, was taking up way too much of my emotional energy. And so I was really worried about that, and, and we kind of, we waited and hemmed and hawed, and finally, because we got a baby going, it was like, all right, we got to make the decision. Are we doing this now or not? And so we finally made the decision, and we listed our house. Um, and what happened is what I thought would happen is uh, the market right now is crazy. Things are getting bought super fast. We listed our house the same day. We had people come look at it. Uh, a couple of days later, we had three more families come look at it, and we had multiple offers on the house within the first week. We didn't even have to do the open house that we planned on because we had all these offers. And one of them looked pretty good, so we decided, all right, I guess we're going to take a step of faith. We're going to list our house, and we're going to be homeless. That's what was going through my mind. So we, we accepted the offer. And something really cool happened. We listed our house, I think it was on a Wednesday. The very next day, there was a house that showed up on the market uh, in Boise. And um, I'm going to get emotional because it's so cool when God does cool things. Um, so this house shows up on the market. <clears throat> Sorry. And it's, it's like perfect for us. It's literally uh, right in between hands work and my work. Like I, I put it in Google Maps. It takes the exact same time. Uh, it's bigger than what we could have wanted, anything like that. And so we thought, hey, we like that house. We should probably sell our house. So we signed the papers. This was actually at Pinewood Derby on Saturday. So I was running Pinewood Derby, and I was selling my house at the same time. It was crazy. We, we see this house, and, and we really liked it. So we decided, hey, we'll throw in an offer. And we find out that there's already been multiple offers on the house. So we're like, well, it wouldn't hurt to try. The worst they can say is no. So we throw in the offer, and, and we do Pinewood Derby, and I didn't win Pinewood Derby, which was a bummer. Uh, that's okay. My son actually did win a trophy, and he told me later that day that he made other kids cry. So, you know, um, we, we send in the offer, and I'm waiting for the call from my aunt. Uh, and I'm expecting her to call and say, hey, uh, sorry, they went with someone else. And she called us at, like, I was, like, 630, and she's like, hey, this is crazy, uh, but they decided they're going to take your offer. Uh, yeah, we, I, that was not what I was expecting. And so we're actually, we're signing on the house this Friday. Uh, we're, we're supposed to close on Friday. Um, I know for, for you guys, right, it's, it's super cool. <clears throat> I could not have scripted it any better. Like, it is so obvious that God is providing for us. Uh, but here's the thing that uh, I had to learn in that situation. See, it wasn't until we made the decision to actually list our house that God moved. Like, God was moving in the background. I have no doubt about that. But it wasn't until we took the step of faith that there was something evident that we saw that God was doing. As I said, we listed the house. The very next day, the house that we were looking for showed up on the market. 
We'd spent the last like six months trying to find something that we even kind of liked. There was nothing. And it was just so amazing to see. And um, in fact, the family is moving uh, because of a job change. And, you know, I don't know how deep it is that God is working in this. I don't know if God spoke to that guy's boss and was like, hey, you need to give this guy a different job so that they can get out of here. So that, right? Like, regardless of how deep God is in the process, I know this, that God moved because we took a step of faith, that God was waiting for us to take that step. If we had never listed our house, we would still be living in CUNA and we'd still be doing lots of driving, right? But it's because we made the decision to say, all right, God, we're going to take the step of faith. We're not going to sit here in the prison and just keep praying and hoping something happens. Instead, we're going to take the step and believe that you're going to respond. And the same is true uh, we see here with Joseph. And so my question for you today is what is the thing that maybe you're facing that God would say, hey, I need you to take a step of faith because I will do something as a result. Maybe you're here and you've been praying to God to provide a job. And you've just been praying, God, would you give me a job? What? God, would you give me a job? And I think God would say to you, I will help you get that job, but how about you go and apply somewhere first? Like, take the step of faith. Go and put in the application and pray that I will work in that situation. Maybe you're here today and you've been praying that a friend or a family member would come to know Jesus. And I think what God would maybe say to you is, hey, I have empowered you with my spirit, the same spirit that rose my son back to life is in you and has given you the ability to go and share the message you have received. And so absolutely, we should pray for those that are lost. But I think God would say, hey, continue to pray for them and then take that step. Take the step of faith and say, hey, can I tell you about what Jesus has done in my life? Whatever situation you're facing today, there may be something that God would say, hey, I will do that thing for you. But I need you to take the first step. I will walk with you through the valley. I will be with you in that situation. And so we see that's what Joseph did. He took the step and he said, I will go with you. I will, I will try to get out of this prison and I'm going to trust that God will go with me along the way. And so then we see actually our story takes an interesting turn. Jumping back to Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 23, it says this, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. See, the cupbearer is the one who was restored into Pharaoh's presence, the one that Joseph said, hey, would you get me out of this place? And we see, much like last week, once again, that Joseph, even though he did all the right things, sometimes the circumstances don't always fall the way we expect them to. But I want you to know that that isn't always a bad thing, that God still has a plan. Because the thing that we need to understand is that there is a purpose for the detour. See, God was setting Joseph up for something so much better. I think that if the official had remembered who Joseph was in that moment and had gotten Joseph out of prison, that Joseph's story would have been different. The fact that Joseph was left in prison, as we'll learn actually for two more years, was that God was doing something in Joseph's life. God was aligning things in his life. So sometimes we will take a step of faith. And it may feel like we fell on our face and we're like, God, I thought you wanted me to take that step. Like, why didn't you respond? And I'll say this, that God isn't ignoring you. God isn't uh, punishing you for something. That instead, God is probably working something out in the background that you may not even know. I like to explain it to our teenagers like this, that life is like a puzzle, uh, a really huge puzzle. And in life, all we get to see is specific pieces. And when you're looking at specific pieces, it looks kind of chaotic, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But the really cool thing is, is we serve a God who already sees the whole picture. 
And so sometimes God has given us a peace in our life that doesn't make sense, but he's doing something. He's positioning us to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, and I have one more story about something that Hannah and I experienced. And um, I was super excited to get to speak today because I just get to brag on the cool things that God is doing in our life. Uh, it's not because of me. It's because God is incredibly faithful. Um, in case you haven't picked up on it, we've mentioned it a couple times. My wife is pregnant. We're expecting baby number two in July. Uh, most of our teenagers actually hadn't figured that out. On Wednesday, I said something. They're like, what? It's like, yes. So we're expecting baby number two, and we are super excited about that. And what you may not know um, is when Hannah and I made the decision to start a family for the first time, like, uh, James, he showed up on the scene pretty quick. Like, we were like, hey, let's have a baby. And, and then it wasn't too long after that, hey, look at that, we're having a baby. Uh, and, and super excited about that. This time around, on the other hand, uh, we decided, hey, we would like James to have a sibling. And, like, things weren't happening. Uh, and there was a lot of time there uh, where, <clears throat> sorry, where we were really disappointed. Like, we prayed, and we said, God, uh, we believe what your word says, that kids are a blessing, uh, that you are faithful. And uh, so if you're in that situation, like, we get it. But you see, something really cool happened is uh, in the midst of that, John came and uh, talked to me. He said, hey, uh, I got this opportunity. Uh, would you consider coming and working uh, at Engage? Uh, and <clears throat> that was a big step for us. Uh, the church that I worked at in CUNA, my wife actually grew up there. She was one of two people that were at the church longer than the senior pastor there. Uh, I'd been there for over a decade. We had really deep roots there. And, uh, but we, just, we prayed about it, and we felt like, hey, we got to take this step. Uh, and so we went and talked to Pastor John, and super, as I said, we are so glad to be here. Um, and in the midst of that, craziest thing happened. Uh, I was actually looking at the calendar last night, figuring out exact dates when we learned stuff. And um, it was, I think, two weeks after I gave John the word that, hey, we're going to come. Uh, we found out that we're having baby number two. Uh, yeah, you guys can clap for that. Like, that's so cool. As hard as that was, I believe that God was doing something in the background. I think if he had answered our prayers the way that we had wanted, when John had come and talked to me and said, hey, would you consider... Uh, coming and working here, I think my answer probably would have been different uh, because I would have said, you know what, like, you know, we've got, a, we've got a new kid we're trying to, like, raise and, like, kids are expensive and I don't know if we can afford the transition. And, uh, it's, it's been so cool. See, we took that step and God was doing something in the background that we didn't even see. And so I want to encourage you this morning, <clears throat> if you're facing something and you're wondering, where is God in this situation? Maybe you're like Joseph and you're like, man, I, I take two steps forward and then I get knocked three steps back. If you're facing something this morning, I want to encourage you to know that there's a purpose in the detour. God has never once abandoned you. 
that he has been faithful through and through. And he will see you through the end. So I'm gonna close with uh, just four things this morning. Uh, that was my intro. It's time for me to get into the message. Just kidding. <laughs> four things this morning that I think that we can learn from this story. The first one is this, is that we are not defined by our detours. Joseph was not defined by the situation that he faced. Instead, he was defined by the God that created him. And you are defined by the Savior of the world, that your life is unique because God has made you unique. Second is this, is that serving others through the detour helps give us new perspective. That if you're facing a detour, I wanna challenge you, instead of looking in and saying, poor me, I wanna challenge you to look out and say, how can I serve someone else even though I'm going through a hard situation? Third thing is this, is your detour, it may be a situation where God is challenging you to take a step of faith. You may be praying, God, get me out of this detour, and God may be saying, hey, I will get you out of there, but I need you to take a step of faith first. I need you to learn to trust me. It may be an opportunity for you to learn and grow your strength, your faith and your strength in him more and more. And then finally, understand that God will use your detours to position you for his good. God has a purpose for what he's doing in your life. And there is a promise in the word that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, right? That doesn't mean life is gonna be good all the time. Because if that was the promise, then it would be a lie. But that's not what the promise is. The promise is, is that even in the good and the bad, God is still good and he's accomplishing something good in your life. And so this is what I wanna ask, I wanna wrap things up here. Um, this is something we do with the teenagers just so that we can focus for a moment. I'm gonna ask that we all bow our heads and close our eyes just so we can have a moment between you and God. And my question today is, I would like to pray for you is with a quick raise of hands, is there anyone here right now that you're facing a detour? And I don't know what your detour is, but you would just like me to pray for you. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, I thank you that, uh, Lord, you respond to prayer. Lord, I pray for the situations that are being faced in this room today. God, I thank you, uh, Lord, that you know what we're going through and you have not abandoned us. Lord, I pray that we would see your miraculous work take place in our lives. God, that when we choose to take a step of faith, Lord, that you respond in a mighty way. And God, I pray that when we find ourselves on the other side of the detour, we would look back and we would know that you were there with us all along. God, we pray for your strength in our lives. I wanna close with one final thing, is if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, much of what I'm talking about today is not gonna make a lot of sense. See, I think that if you're here and, and you've never experienced the grace of Jesus, we may need to, instead of looking at this story and say, I'm Joseph in the story, we may need to look at it in a slightly different perspective. Because I think every single person in this room, it can be really easy to identify with Joseph. But in reality, it's probably easier to identify with the baker and the butler. Because what the Bible talks about is that we are all slaves to our sin and that we've all messed up and we've all found ourselves guilty of the decisions that we've made. And that David Gutzik, that same guy I talked about earlier, he puts it this way that Jesus is actually Joseph in this story. See, Jesus was the innocent man that came into our prison and shared our condition. 
right? God sent his son into this world to live like we did. He brought himself down and he experienced what we went through. And that Jesus was the innocent prisoner that revealed the message of God to us. He came and he came to set the captive free. He spoke truth. That Jesus was the innocent prisoner that was proved true in three days. Just as Joseph said, hey, this is gonna take place in three days. Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna come back to life in three days. And Jesus was proved true by the word of what he said. See, Jesus came to proclaim a message of life to us from God. And really where it all starts is recognizing that, hey, I'm a prisoner, that I am, I, I am guilty of the things that I've done. But the really cool thing is, is that Jesus stepped into our place, that he paid the penalty for our sins, and that we can have forgiveness for the things that we've done if we'll accept the message that he proclaims to us. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna simp simply ask a question today. If you're here and you've never experienced the grace of Jesus in your life, and you would like to experience that for the first time, if that's you, would you slip your hand up real quick? I wanna pray for you. Awesome. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna say a simple prayer together. And, um, these aren't magic words, but we're simply expressing what's going on in our hearts, and we're standing on the word of what the Bible says. So would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. I admit I'm not a perfect person, but I believe what your word says, that you lived a life without sin, that you went to the cross, that you died in my place, and you rose again so that I could be forgiven. I ask you to forgive me and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, you guys can look up to me. If you prayed that for the first time or maybe you've prayed that before and, and you're not really sure what it means to follow Jesus, I wanna encourage you to come talk to me, Pastor John, after service. We've got some resources we'd love to share with you. That is the best decision you will ever make because we really were prisoners accused of our sin and an innocent man took our place. So um, I'm gonna wrap things up. I'm sorry I got emotional on you. I'm just a big fan of God. Like he's pretty good doing stuff. So you should probably check him out sometime. Um, let's pray and then uh, we're gonna be dismissed. We're gonna have uh, the barbecues going out here. Uh, have like free food, that's hard to beat. So uh, let's pray uh, and we're gonna believe that it's gonna be a great time together. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word, the example that we see in Joseph. God, I thank you that those events took place thousands and thousands of years ago. But God, you were the same God there as you are today. God, you were just as faithful then as you are today. And we stand on the truth found within your word. God, we love you. We praise you. We praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here today. Uh, feel free to go get some food. Teenagers, don't forget, next week, need your teen camp registrations. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.